We've been on this, uh, having this conversation for quite a few weeks as we've, we've been processing the, our crossroads, uh, nights of prayer and been seeking God and asking what, what he wants for us. And so we've been having this conversation about learning to live in our identity and learning how to function as priests. If, and so this morning we're using the word priestliness and, and part of what we're doing there was trying to shift it mentally for people who when you think of a priest you think of pointy hats, funny robes and stuff like that to say no that's not, uh, that can be part of it but that's not that because many of you are sitting there going well that's not me, I'm not into wearing pointy hats, funny robes and, and swinging things around with smoke coming out of it. Um, okay, so it's much more than that. And it's about being a people who live in this as our reality. Uh, particularly the sense of <clears throat> when, when um, not just adults, Julie, but when adults get it, but when adults pass it on to their children, as well, and and children grow up and become teenagers and young adults, and then they become adults. But and if they understand who God says they are and the function that He's given them, they're less easily swayed by other conflicting opinions, if you like. And that that's a core thing of what we want, because what we what we know God wants not just for new life as a congregation. But it's for the whole church across the earth to come into this greater understanding and revelation of who he says that we are so that we live out of that place and that purpose. And as we look around and interact with people around the earth, as we do a bit, little bit, not that we travel places, but we converse, um, we, we see that this is actually something God's stirring it up. I hear it in the conversations I have with other pastors in the city of Perth and also through things that have come through my email account of updates and things. And so there's, there's a wonderful global con- conversation going on about helping the body of Christ globally uh, recapture, in a sense, what it means to live as God's image bearers and how do we bring that about and what does it mean to live in that because that is our identity and that is our function. So we use these scriptures up here and uh, that, that's two, as you can see, there's two different verses. Uh, I don't have any, any prizes to give you but uh, if, where does that first verse come from? I'll set you apart as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Be bold. Better to be bold and wrong or bold and right. Like it, like, but just, just be bold. No, 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 no. Exodus. Nailed it. Well done. Son? Chapter? Chapter? Close. 19. <laughs> Exodus 19. Yep. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. His holy priesthood is from? Yeah. Yeah. First Peter. Well done. Yeah. Good. That's great. All right. Yeah, so um, actually it was encouraging. As we were worshipping this morning, I was just, I was just standing there worshipping and really um, loving the fact that we can be together worshipping God. And I, I, just, I just heard the Holy Spirit just say, I'm changing people's identity today. 
Yeah, I'm shifting. I'm shifting people's understanding of their identity today. Uh, and this, I believe, this understanding of a priesthood and looking at it from beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, is, is actually, it's revelation. It's profound. It's empowering. It gives dignity and value and worth to us. And it also shows us the way we relate to God because he wants to bless us. Okay. So it's all of that all wrapped up together. We're, we're actually quite familiar with, um, uh, the disciple maker or discipling or, you know, becoming disciple makers, that kind of terminology and Jesus great commission. That's, we're quite familiar with that, aren't we? But as we'll see today, that kind of language doesn't start with Jesus. Jesus is just continuing to function in the superior priesthood, which he established by making a covenant with his own blood. And he's giving that language. He's passing that priestly language onto his disciples. Okay, so you ready? You might uh, want to take some notes. We didn't have a like specific Bible reading this morning because we are going to go through all sorts of Bible readings. So have your, your whatever you use ready. Have your notes ready if you want to just jot them down. Have your camera ready if you want to take a photo. There's a slide coming up in a minute that's got all the scriptures listed. Well, some of the key ones anyway that you might want to go back and look into. And as usual, the PowerPoint, PowerPoint will be uploaded to the website for people to download yeah. themselves. That's it. That's right. Okay, so priestliness, yeah, a God-given identity and function. Uh, so why priests? That's, a, that's one question. Um, and what makes a priest a priest? So this priestly identity, the priestly role is a recurring the theme in, in Scripture. Just stay on this one. Okay, stay on the first one. Yep. yep, recurring theme in Scripture from beginning to end. So all priestly types that we find in the scripture ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ and Jesus priestly identity is quite clearly documented in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 7 if you want one book just uh, one chapter just to to focus on there's there's other chapters in Hebrews especially um, and so this morning I'm going to do a quick quick sweep through the scriptures uh, to help us understand the importance and the enduring the everlasting relevance of the priesthood Okay, so the priestly function, um, if, I can, if I can just summarize it before we look at the scriptures, the priestly function is to serve God, to extend his rule through relationship, that means through intimacy with him, knowing what he's thinking, what he's saying, where he's going, and we extend, we extend that. We've been given this incredible position in Christ where we can extend his rule. God relates to his creation rightly and on his terms. He relates to us as a, as a priesthood so that he can release a blessing, a priestly blessing. Did you hear all that? Okay, that's the summary. So biblically speaking, what are the responsibilities of a priest? Now, here's the, here's the, the slide with all the, the scriptures. Now, we're going to start from the, uh, well, actually, let's look at, no, let's look at here, uh, the, the different scriptures and see what we can find out about the function or the role or the responsibilities of a priest. So we'll start from the beginning. 
And we look at Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, which is actually where God gives Adam the command to essentially subdue the earth, name the animals, he gives him dominion. And then Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 um, he has a specific role that he gives to Adam. Now, I want you to start thinking of Adam as the first image bearer and the first priest. Can you do that? The first image bearer who is the first priest in the Garden of Eden. So Genesis 2.15, what does it say, Wayne? It says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Okay. So, the garden is God's holy sanctuary, yes? Places man in the garden and he says, tend and watch over it. What other words do your, does your translation use? Work it. Work it and what? Care for it. Does anyone have serve in their translation? Yes? Does anyone have guard in their translation? Yes? That is actually the translation of the Hebrew word shema. It means to guard. That's what's in, in the text, whatever your translation, however it's been translated into English. So we've got these, these two words, to serve, well, or to work, or to care for, and to guard. And the two words there um, in the Hebrew are abad and shema. Now, when you say guard, it takes on a different different expression, doesn't it? To guard, to watch over, to tend, to make sure that the relationship with God is, is guarded and the things that God has given remain holy. And that means there's, a, there's an agreement, and we see that in Genesis chapter 2. And in fact, the next verses, 16 and 17, where you'll see God commands Adam. He gives him one command to guard, keep this holy, don't eat of that tree. Okay? So Adam is the one who tends. And he is, he's got this kingly role as well. So we actually see the ruling and the priestly function together. If we move through the scriptures in Genesis chapter 15 and 17, we see Abraham functioning in a priestly role in the covenant ceremonies with God. We see in Exodus 28 and 29, there's this, this, all this description of the priests, the garments they wear, the ephod, the breastplate. We also see in, uh, in that chapter the consecration as well as Leviticus 8. And the priests were to be holy and set apart. They were to be righteous, they were to be obedient, and they were to engage in reverent service exactly the way God prescribed it. And we know the story of Adab, uh, oh, sorry, Nadab and Abihu. And these were Aaron's sons. Immediately after they'd been consecrated into the priestly um, function and service, they do something specifically. We're not told exactly but they offer strange fire and God rejects it and they are consumed. And we see right at the beginning, God is saying, you did not regard me as holy. And Aaron is not allowed to mourn for his sons. Other people have to take them out because they're in priestly dress and, and fulfilling the priestly function. And it's like the whole camp is reverberating with this Holy fear of God. This God is holy. 
Numbers 6, verse 24 to 26, we have the priestly blessing. So one of the functions of the priest was to bless the people. And God says, put the Lord's name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So the priests did this. When was the last time you blessed your children in that way? Just to share, we had a, a family gathering yesterday and um, one of the things I felt stirred was to to have my mum and dad, who are now, well, 90 and almost 90 kind of thing, um, share with us as family, as, you know, the different one, two, three generations. I think there were uh, three, three, one, no, four. Four, four generations four of us yeah. in the room to share yeah. some of their story, to pass it on while they are living and to pass it. And it was a beautiful time. And at the end of that, I asked my father to stand well no I didn't ask him to stand I asked him to pray a blessing on our family and he stood up and he began to pray because everyone was sitting down he stood up and he prayed this blessing I was just I was like this is a priestly blessing and it was like the presence of God just invaded the room I thought this is so powerful we need to learn how to do this we need to recapture this in our families God blesses through that priestly blessing. Yeah. Then we have Deuteronomy 33, 8 to 11. Wayne, would you just read this? This highlights their responsibilities. Well, Moses said this about the tribe of Levi. O Lord, you've given your Thummim and Urim, the sacred lots, to your faithful servants, the Levites. You put them to test at Massah and struggled with them at the waters of Meribah. The Levites obeyed your word and guarded your covenant. They were more loyal to you than to their own parents. They ignored their relatives and did not acknowledge their own children. They teach your regulations to Jacob. They give your instructions to Israel. They present incense before you and offer whole burnt offerings on the altar. Bless the ministry of the Levites, O Lord, and accept all the work of their hands. So this is um, when uh, Moses records all the promises and the blessings given to each of the tribes. And this w was spoken to the tribe of Levi. It's interesting. Some translations aren't, aren't very accurate because the, the Thummim and the Urim was specifically entrusted to the high priest Whereas that says all the priests, right? It, it connects it with, with all of them. But the, the Thummim and the Urim was, mm. was on the breastplate of the high priest. Mm. And it was, and God would release revelation. We don't quite know exactly how it functioned, but it was to release revelation. And it means uh, literally uh, the Urim and Thummim means perfect light or, or uh, yeah, light of perfections. And, and you'll, you'll see this referenced. It's more often the Urim actually. Um, in the scriptures, in the early scriptures, and the high priest would hear the word, the priest would hear the word of the Lord and give it to the king or, or whoever. So it was, it was revelation. It released revelation. So, so this highlights their responsibilities. It also highlights the fact that they were willing, did you hear that? That they were willing to side with God against their brothers. That's really interesting. Uh, and you'll see as we go through the priestly function that God requires things to be done in his order. And I just want to say, even as the body of Christ, 
many, many times, I think family sits at the highest place. And God does not. And there's a loyalty to family above a loyalty to God. It is clear from scripture that God sits in that place. And when that is the right and godly order, the blessing flows down. I'm thinking of Matthew 6 when Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God and his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. And in order for the the priests to function in the way that God ordained, it had to be God first. Always. Eli. Do you remember Eli? And his... His wicked sons, Hophni uh, and oh, I can't remember the other guy. I can't remember his name. Uh, Phineas. Yeah, um, Phineas. And God sends a prophet to Eli to rebuke him specifically, hmm. to specifically rebuke him for honouring his sons above the Lord. He allowed his sons to behave hmm. in an evil way as priests. He allowed his sons to do things that were clearly not how God had prescribed and ordained for them to be done. And God sends a prophet to rebuke him. In the end, Eli still doesn't bring correction. Probably he couldn't at that stage. And his whole entire line is cut off from the priestly inheritance. Psalm 141 verse 2. Here's another verse which highlights a priestly role. This is a psalm of David. It's David's priestly prayer. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. There you have it. Prayer set before you like incense. The priests offered the incense daily. And David likens it to And, and of course, what the priests were doing was interceding and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. We need to learn to lift our hands, people. You know, when the priests pronounced the blessing, they lifted their hands. We don't understand this, though. First Chronicles chapter 23 to 25, you can read those chapters, the priests are described as musicians, judges, officials, gatekeepers, administrators of the temple treasuries, and more. You can read that yourself. Now, here's a positive reference, Wayne, if you could read Ezra 7.10. This is a commendation from the Lord to a priest, and he gives a reason. I'll make a quick comment on the Chronicles one. Uh, How many of you, when you think about what a priest does, think about what's in that list? Because the list was there, they judge. Yep. What else? There was Musicians, judges, officials, gatekeepers, administrators of the temple treasuries. Yeah. So there's there's a wide range of expressions Mm. of this this function. Okay, back to Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. And uh, so... The verse says, this was because Ezra had determined to study and obey. Excuse me, what was because? What's the blessing? 
Yeah, I haven't got that verse. <laughs> okay. Um, the first, the, the context is Ezra has just come from Babylon to Jerusalem. Very dangerous journey. God has protected him for the gracious hand of his God was on him because. Because he had determined to study yep. and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Ezra was highly commended, highly favoured by the Lord. He understood what his responsibility as a preach, as a priest and a teacher of the law, and God's gracious hand was on him for that reason, because he was devoted, unswerving. Phineas, here's a negative, okay? Um, well, no, no, Phineas is... Um, that, that is actually a name that's repeated through the priestly lineage. But mm. Phineas, the first Phineas, I think he was the first Phineas, um, this goes back to uh, Numbers 25. I don't think that's up there, but Numbers 25. And uh, I don't know if you remember, do you remember the whole story with Balaam, you know, and uh, the the kings, the, the, this cluster of kings, Canaanite kings, wanted Balaam to curse Israel? Okay, so he tries to do it. He ends up blessing them. Okay, now what then happens though is that Balaam uh, gets it gets gets together with the king of Midian and they plot a way to cause the downfall of Israel. And so how they use that is they start sending that the Midianite women, the Moabite women, into the Is Israelite camp and uh, they get friendly and then they invite the Israelite men to their temples and their worship services to their gods and the Israelite men start bowing down and they start having sexual relationships with these women and before you know it everything's going very fast downhill and God says to Moses you've got to stop this Moses you have to get the judges and the leaders together and you have to tell them to put to death every man who has entered into this immorality and this worship of these foreign gods so they're all receiving this word from Moses and standing at their tents weeping because by this stage a plague has broken out. God's discipline has, has broken out upon them and people are dying and they're weeping. In the midst of it all, this Israelite man brings this Midianite woman to his family, goes into the tent. This young man, this Levite priest called Phineas, is standing there and this holy anger, this this zeal of the Lord comes upon him. He runs out where they're all standing assembled. He grabs his spear. He goes into that tent where this Israelite and this Midianite woman are now engaged in a sexual act. And he thrusts the spear through both of them. You might think God would now punish him for murder. But he doesn't. In that one moment, the plague is stopped. And God says to Phineas. Because of this, because you honored me in the sight of all my people, I will establish a covenant of peace with the priesthood, with the Levites forever. And in Malachi, God references this. So this is way past Phineas now. Malachi, a few hundred years go forward. God references this. Malachi chapter, what is it? Uh, Two. Chapter 2, verse 
verse 5, yeah, 5 to 7, he references this because he is rebuking the priesthood and he is, and it's about to fail for good, okay? It's about to falter and fail for good. What does he say? The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from lives of sin. The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God, and people should go to him for instruction, for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. He's starting to see how God's priests were to uphold, hmm. to honor, to lift up his glory, right? That's, that's the function. It's about God's glory. Moving on into the New Testament, this one that we've, we've just had up here already this morning, First Peter 2, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you get all that? Beautiful. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we are collectively. This is God's intention. This is his design from the beginning. Even Paul speaks about this, Romans 15. You might want to look this one up because it may be unfamiliar to you. Romans 15, verses 15 and 16, Wayne. And this is, this was a new one to me that you pointed out. Some part of this that I hadn't seen before. Paul says, but I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul understands his identity. We always associate Apostle Paul, don't we? We don't say priest Paul, <laughs> but here he's calling himself a priest. Hebrews 5 verses 8 to 10. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus, as head of his body, the church, shares with us all of his roles and responsibilities as the source of eternal life. Okay? Therefore, the church is made up of royal priests who image Christ, if you like. Revelation 5.10. This is a great scripture. We love this. I love this chapter, Revelation 4 and 5. But in chapter 5... 
You have made them. This is talking of Jesus. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And great worship goes up because Jesus has accomplished this. He has brought all of this to its ultimate fulfillment. And it is an everlasting priesthood, not based on what you've um, inherited, uh, sorry, what, you know, your ancestry, but what you've inherited by being brought into the family of Jesus Christ. Right? So it's not, it's not a priesthood. It's not like the Levitical one or the Aaronic priesthood where it was a, it was a family line and if you were a descendant, you, you ha- had this special function, although the whole nation is called to be a priestly nation. But it's based on the power of an indestructible life. Jesus' death, his resurrection, therefore he has victory over death. It's powerful. And we are brought into that simply through faith in Jesus Christ. And this new order of priests is established. Like Melchizedek, I won't kind of go there at the moment because I need to unpack that. But it's a different order. It's a superior order. And it reflects the king and priest roles and prophet actually. Kingly, priestly, prophetic role that Jesus is. And in this He is our great high priest. He functions forever as our great high priest. He lives always to intercede for us. He is the guarantee, right? He is, because of him, we will make it. He's interceding. So intercession is a really, really important part of the priestly function. And we join Jesus in his intercession. We understand we're priests. That's why. That's why I want to know what's on his heart. It's who I am. It's my function. And when I know what's on his heart, I start to move into a measure of that kingly rule. And I declare it and I decree it. And the things of heaven now become the things of the earth. The will of heaven becomes done on the earth. Are you seeing this? You're grasping this. It's so valuing <laughs> of us. I, it, it, it is almost unfathomable to think that the God of all, he's all of everything. Power, might, glory, worth, creator God. No end, no beginning. He bestows this honor. You might be sitting there thinking, I don't feel like this. I'm telling you. This is the truth and you've got to get yourself into the truth because it is who you are. It is who I am. And I do not want to face Jesus at the end of the age and go, oh, I didn't realize that. When it's here, all throughout scripture from beginning to end, you have an identity. We have an identity. We have a role and a function and Jesus bought it. He paid for it with his blood. Therefore, therefore, draw near with full assurance. How many of us 
are tentative to draw near to God. It's because we don't understand who we are. We don't understand what he's conferred on us. We shrink back and go, I'm not worthy. That is the most prideful thing you could say. Because you're saying that what Jesus has done has not made you worthy. You're saying that what you do makes you worthy. There's a priestly, there is a priest functioning from Genesis to Revelation. And, and I mean, it's Jesus eventually, but there's a whole pattern. There's a whole sequence of events. Adam, like I said, he's the first priest. I'm just really going to whiz through this now because we, we, we need to close. But Adam is the first priest. We've read those scriptures. Yeah, there we go. The commands are there. You, can, you read them yourself. If you want to really get this into you, read the scriptures. Read it. Open your Bibles. That's how the word gets in you. Young people, open your Bibles. That transforms you. All of us, we need to do it. Old people. Old open, people. Open your Bibles. Young people. Children. <laughs> Babies. Sing it. Yeah. Alora, yeah. <laughs> <Allura>, sing it. <laughs> you know? Out of the mouths of babes, why not? Covenantal responsibilities are given to Adam. Okay. Now, big deal happens. The fall happens, right? So God doesn't change his mind about the priestly role at that point. He just adds to it. He enlarges it, okay? So we have these priestly patriarchs, Wayne. I'm just going to mention two of them. Noah. Priest in the garden. And then we've got... Yeah, priest in the garden. Sorry, we're whizzing through now. Priest in the garden. That was Adam, right? Yeah. Got that? That started with him. He's a patriarch too. But then we move into this era of the patriarchs. And I just want to mention two, Noah and Abraham. Okay? Noah, because Genesis chapter 6 to 9, it's really interesting. He's basically referenced like a second Adam. The same things are said to him, subdue the earth. You know, all this whole thing. Um, you know, the, in fact, there'll be a, a dread. The animals will have a dread of you on the earth and all this sort of stuff. But... Um, Adam's original calling to serve and, and guard God's holy garden remains in effect, but the role now included making atonement sacrifices and mediating covenant relationship between God and man. So we see Noah making a sacrifice, a pleasing sacrifice. Remember, when he comes out of the ark. So firstly, firstly, he's righteous. He's the only righteous man, him and his family. The earth is like fully corrupt. Now you think about it, the most, a very righteous man, Enoch, is Noah's great-grandfather. So there's not too much passage of time here. The earth has descended into great corruption, but Noah, Noah, he's righteous. He obeys God. He follows. He's the firstborn son. So is Enoch. So is Methuselah, so is Lamech, and so is Noah. These guys are firstborn. There's a connection in the scriptures between the firstborn and the priestly function. So Noah, here he is. God calls him out and says, Noah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it. Okay, so I want you to build an ark. You know the story. When he comes out of the ark, he builds an altar and he sacrifices burnt offerings on it to the Lord. And the Lord was pleased with Noah's sacrifice. And he ratified a covenant with Noah. This is the Noahic covenant to preserve creation. He said, I'll never send, I'll never send a flood like that to destroy the earth again. This is, this is Noah acting in a priestly function. 
He also blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply. Listen to the Adam thing going on here. Crease in number, fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the air. Every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. You can read Noah's story through the lens of a priest. Abraham, also a firstborn son. Now there's multiple examples of Abraham's priesthood. I'm only going to give you five real fast. He's called to bless the nations. That's a priestly function. Number six, right? Abraham's pattern of building altars and offering sacrifices indicates his priestly status. His Number three, his intercession for Lot is priestly. Isn't it? You know that story? Genesis 18, go read it if you don't. And listen, I just have to share this with you. One of the things that God says about Abraham when he's deciding whether to tell him that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, listen to what he says. He's thinking to himself out loud, but of course it's recorded for us all to learn from. For I have chosen him. I've chosen Abraham so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. It's a priestly function, isn't it? Fourthly, Abraham's role in the covenant ceremonies, which I've already mentioned, go read them, Genesis 15 and 17, it's priestly. Fifthly, his willingness to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord is priestly. He ends up offering the substitute sacrifice, right, for his son Isaac. And this sacrifice secured God's covenant promise. This is also a priestly function. Okay, moving on to the priestly tribe. This is, I think, what people think of when we talk priesthood or priests. We think of the most familiar priesthood, which is found in the law of Moses. It is the priestly tribe of Levi. And within that is another line of um, priests, which are descendants of Aaron, the high priest. So the book of Exodus formalizes, if you like, the priesthood of the patriarchs, right? Um, which Which is the priesthood from firstborn sons, of whom Adam, Noah, and Abraham are firstborn sons, and moves it to the sons of Levi. Okay? So, and then we have that whole story unfolding, Exodus 19, kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, And um, there's a whole series of commands in Deuteronomy which confirm the shape and standards of the priesthood, their garments, how they qualify for priesthood, in the first place, the Levites, and of course it was because the golden calf thing, remember all that? Moses comes down and he says to his tribe, those of you who are with me, strap your swords on your side, we're going to deal with this. Otherwise God's going to destroy us with the plague. That's essentially, and so they did. And again, you have this pattern where these, this, this tribe... And and priesthood is conferred on them because they honored God over what was going on amongst their family of tribes, right? Hmm. We just kind of read that, but that was a big deal. It was a big deal for them to do that. And God released a blessing on them. And of course, Phineas later, he, he, yeah. But we see throughout Israel's history that as the priests went, so went the people. If the priests were serving the Lord wholeheartedly and fulfilling their priestly function, the nation was blessed. And if they weren't, 
the nation deteriorated on every level and eventually incurred the judgment of God. That's what we see. That's where it came to. And it came to that several times. Now we move on to the eternal priests. And we see as the priesthood is failing and faltering that the prophets under divine inspiration start to look forward to a new priesthood. And the first time that's mentioned is, is 1 Samuel 2.35. And this is after the devastating demise of the priesthood under Eli's sons, which I, which I mentioned. Um, and, uh, yeah, this, this, this scripture that says, um, actually I haven't got it written here, but where God says, I will raise up a faithful priest. I will raise up a faithful priest who will do everything in accordance with my mind and will and heart. It's something like that. You can read it in 1 Samuel 2.35. And there were, there were some faithful priests that followed. You know, I mean, Samuel himself was a, was a faithful priest. David. And David was really after that Melchizedek order because he was a king priest. I'll pack Melchizedek on another time. Um, But then there's also the priests of Zadok. However, despite all that, I do think that the greater fulfillment of this prophecy in 1 Samuel 2 is found in Jesus Christ. In God's plan of redemption, the failings of the priesthood would be eclipsed by a true priest after God's heart. And isn't that actually what God is doing? God is establishing, he finds a man, he finds a priest, and he establishes a covenant Adam, okay, the fall, Noah to preserve creation, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth, I'm going to give you land, you know, and, um, and I'm, I'm, and, uh, and there's, there's other things associated with that covenant, but he finds these men who are wholehearted, he finds these men who are willing, they're functioning as priests. I mean, before God ever gave this covenant to Abraham, he said to him, get up and leave this place and go to the place I will tell you. What does Abraham do? He obeys. And God makes a covenant with him. And after him, he makes a covenant with King David because he's bringing everything. The progressive, the the covenants are progressing towards this ultimate fulfillment of the one king priest, Jesus. And God, if you like, is finding his way back into the earth by forming these covenants with these individual priestly men. And the covenant is bringing him back. And finally, the line of the tribe of Judah, the son of David, is born. And he is the fulfillment. And God is like, I have got my priest. And he is going to do everything. And he will not fail. And Jesus goes to the cross. And there is a change of priesthood. Because God swore it as an oath to him. You are a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek. My king and my priest And they worshipped him in Revelation chapter 5, didn't they? They saw John sees this lamb at the center of the throne as if it had been slain. And they take up 
this chant or you hear this song in heaven, you are worthy. You are worthy, slain Lamb of God, to, receive, to take the scroll and to open its seals. You are now worthy to bring to its fulfillment the culmination of all things. And it's going to end up in, after a thousand year reign, the new Jerusalem coming down and God coming back to the earth and its garden to garden, complete cycle. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that is so amazing. This is so exciting. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men. You purchased men with your slain blood. For God, from every tribe and language, all peoples and nations, and you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Do you hear the command to Adam right back at the beginning? Except now it's been taken from a man to the firstborn to the sons of Levi to nations. A multi faceted nationwide priesthood a kingdom of priests to serve God do you have a vision for priestliness for yourself for your family do you have a vision for it Art Katz is um, he, he's, he's no longer living but he wrote some very powerful things he asked this question he converted He's a Jew, converted to Christ. He says, is a lack of priestliness a lack of longing for the glory of God? You think of the words that God spoke to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. Hear, O heavens, and shudder. That's what he says. You've exchanged my glory for all these other things. False gods and everything my glory you're my priesthood your role is to function to proclaim the excellencies of christ to serve god to train others to serve god to live holy and set apart lives when the crowd is saying this you're the one who stands there and says but does that honor god i don't feel right about this you're the one who stands out because you know who you are. It's not because you say you are. It's because God says you are my priest. The priests had to have a vision for the glory of God. And when they lost that vision, they traded everything. And everything went down from there. But hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus is going to make sure that there is a priesthood. He bought them with his blood. And by the spirit in us, we are going to become the priests that glorify God. It's not an if or maybe. Mm. It's an oath. Yeah. God has promised things to his son and by the power of his spirit 
and the humble heart who accepts this, he will have that priesthood. Let's stand together. Next week we're going to unpack more of the practicalities. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for teenagers? What does that look like for households? What does that look like for single people? What does that look like for elderly people? What does it look like? Remember God said to to the Israelites camped around Mount Sinai, what was the first question? Will you fully obey me? Then he says, I will make you my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a nation set apart to serve God and to proclaim his glory. Let's sing that song, Nathan. Jesus, help us. Right now we ask for your power to live in us, for this vision to live in us, that we would say yes to the fullness, to everything that you paid for with your, your blood. You are, you are worthy, Jesus. You are so worthy. We thank you.